Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another Adventures in Machine Learning. This week, we have on our panel, Ben Wilson. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest. We have Sydney Lai. I hope I said that right. All right. And you're the host of the Decoded podcast, and we chatted a little bit ago. We're going to talk about AI-assisted development, which is something that's kind of been creeping up in different areas. And yeah, we I think we can get into a little bit more of the AI part of that, but also we've been seeing a bunch of stuff on GitHub put out. I can't remember what they called it, but I haven't gotten access to it yet. So I haven't been able to play with it. Anyway, do you want to introduce yourself real quick and then we'll just dive in and talk about dev tooling and AI stuff and all that fun stuff that you're working on? Absolutely. So my name is Sydney Lai and you said it perfectly. Thank you for that. And I am a developer advocate with different types of developer tools. What I really try to focus on is how do you reinforce the developers to provide them the resources and the tooling to build the next generation of technology. So I am the host of the Decoded series. Decoded is mm -hmm. a podcast by OutSystems. And I am also a developer advocate with OutSystems. And it is a enterprise level web and mobile application developer. And yeah, I'm just super excited to just share with other developers on how did we move towards AI system development and kind of like understanding how do you design also for the unknown right? Designing for the unknown. Mm -hmm. How do you have both a templated approach, also a predictive approach? I remember working my tail off to become a senior developer. I read every book I could get my hands on. I went to any conference I could and watched the videos about the things that I thought I needed to learn. And eventually I got that senior developer job. And then I realized that the rest of my career looked just like where I was now. I mean, where was the rush I got from learning? What was I supposed to do to keep growing? And then I found it. I got the chance to mentor some developers. I started a podcast and helped many more developers. I did screencasts and helped even more developers. I kind of became a dev hero. And now I want to help you become one too. And if you're looking forward to something more than doing the same thing at a different job three years from now, then join the Dev Heroes Accelerator. I'll walk you through the process of building and growing a following and finding people that you can uniquely help as you build the next stage of your career. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. So, yeah, I mean, I'm just curious, like, how, how do you put a tool together like this, right? Yeah, well, what are you actually trying to get us as an outcome in AI-assisted tooling? Yeah, I think that when it comes to the desired outcome for AI-assisted tooling is really complementing the developer's intent and what they want to accomplish. So that is on a human level, on a one-to-one -one individual level. When it comes to AI-assisted development on a grander scheme, meaning as a developer using a tooling, and then they want to be able to rapidly create, rapidly create for, for really whichever vision they're trying to build out, whatever enterprise they're trying to transform, whatever they're trying to uh, push forward into, into the ecosystem. So the goal and intention is to basically eliminate boilerplate by saying, here's my high-level intention of the constructs that I want to do. Please just write it for me. Yeah, I think of it from the imperative approach versus declarative approach. So the imperative approach in maybe programming or just even in grammar is, is how. So let's say you enter a restaurant and you say, hey, 
I like to have a table for two. I want to sit right next to the bathroom sign, or excuse me, yeah, the bathroom under the sign that says exit. And I would like to walk over there and to be seated. So that's kind of an imperative approach versus the declarative approach, which is, hey, I want to have a table for two, or I would like to build this, or this is this is the approach that I'm trying to to build towards. So there's there's really two different types of approaches. And you can really see that in just the evolution of programming or creating. And, and if I were to oversimplify this or provide an analogy, maybe a declarative approach to building something is there's, you know, a pre-existing template or a pre-existing library for you to say like, all right, I just want to have the basic banking application. Let's start with that. Or a a basic a marketplace, something like that. I mean, if you think of it this way, like even Shopify, some Shopify has their own has their own programming language. I I think it's called Liquid. I'm I'm not. I, I just can't remember right now. But Shopify has their own programming language. They also have. They're essentially a template for all storefronts and marketplaces. And if you want to abstract to a higher level of essentially of abstraction, that is a declarative approach overall, but not necessarily on a line by line programming kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we see that in the ML space specifically over time with the generations of, of languages as they've happened over the last 50, 60 years of statistical analysis back on HPC systems. And you're dealing with, you know, everything was third generation, which is, you know, you're in a C type environment or second generation assembly language if you're writing in a, a mainframe context. And then you fast forward to today where we're looking at these higher level languages that are fifth gen, which are more of that that declarative, like, hey, here's kind of this high level API that I want to use that does, I want to go from A to Q, but I don't want to define all of the letters in between that and just get me there, get me to Q. So is that kind of what you're you're focusing on is abstracting away a lot of that complexity to get to solving that problem as, as quickly as possible. Yeah, I think that a huge piece of it is is taking away some of the complexities, the friction. And it. I think that it's not... I think the irony is, is like we are building developer tools towards AI development, but we're also... That's also how our behavior is. And then you can also see that in just even the consumer products that we consume. Anywhere from, gosh, self-driving cars to even like dishwashers, right? Or even smart lights. I mean, that I don't have smart lights, but I would imagine at some point they would know when you're home and they would automatically turn on. I mean, you have to program all of that, right? But I mean, just to bring it back down, to bring it back down. Yes, it is to remove a lot of the friction points and abstraction. It's also predictive, right? So I'll give an example. The tool that that I use, the tool that I'm part of is OutSystems. And with analysis systems as the ID itself, there is a, you can visually see the logic flow. And within the logic flow, it will say, for example, let's say I want to, like a, a recent demo that I built, I built an Ethereum wallet. And in the logic flow, it can say like, hey, you are making a transaction. Would you like to do this and send this to the server side as an example? So some of the ways I like to explain that for it could be both technical folks or non-technical folks. It's kind of like Grammarly, if you're familiar with Grammarly, the Chrome extension. I think that Grammarly, for most people, is this awesome 
autofill, spell checker, whatever it is. But I think why Grammarly is so well-funded and so well-loved is that it's a very, it is a very well-designed machine learning tooling, right? So it will predict, hey, this is your sentence grammar. I like to go, I like to go to the grocery store. That, that was proper grammar. I'm trying to I'm trying to think of incorrect grammar, but it, it essentially picks up when you say something incorrectly, or it will also autofill saying, would you like to go to what time, you know, and it will, it will predict what your, your, your intent is, what you're trying to say. And so that's, that's a, a really tangible analogy that I like to bring to the table. May it be folks who are technical or even non-technical. So contextual representation of intent, how does that apply to esoteric software development where you might not be building an app, but you might be solving an ML problem? And the training data might not be available for that algorithm to learn how to autofill or to generate code that would represent that problem statement. Where do you see the future in that going? Yeah, that that's a little circular, right? Use the <laughs> ML tool to build the ML tool to build the ML tool. Yeah. In ML, yeah. there's a lot of boilerplate, like a lot of boilerplate. Yeah. And, and it's painful to write. And Ben, I, I, I'll I'll definitely answer your question. I just want to tell Charles Charles' point, which is the the chicken and the egg. Like it's just this <laughs> weird cycle. I I literally had this conversation the other day um, with another, another software engineer, and I was like, "Wait, how did how did the computer and then the internet everything get created? What was the first line of code? But then how like <laughs> like but then how did the how did you create the code to create the code or even the soft, the operating system? But then, but then you need to have an operating system to write the code, but then where, and then where does the hardware? So it, yeah, I, I don't, I still don't, I don't, I don't even, it's like over, I can't even, it's overwhelming. Yeah. Which, the analogy that I use for a lot of that is, is that, you know, somebody figured out that it was easier to fix stuff or bang stuff with a rock, right? Then they figured out if this, if the rock was shaped differently, it'd be easier. So they took the crappy rock that they had and they banged out a nicer rock, right? And you just kind of iterate through it until you get to where you're at. Oh, Alan Turing, Turing with a bunch of dials and a machine. I know, right? You know, hard coding. I think that's where the term hard coding comes from. I mean, it's physical yeah. hardware yeah. that they were using. But yeah, if you abstract that from that level of hardware complexity, all the way to the modern day age where you're talking about trillions of transistors on a, mm -hmm. a piece of silicon that is, has a, a layer of interface to an assembly language, to, an, to a kernel. Yeah, it's, it gets pretty complex. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. but back to using a tool like this on an AI thing where you have so much boilerplate. By the way, if you eliminate boilerplate, you eliminate about half the web frameworks that I've ever used. <laughs> <laughs> I, to I, totally, I totally get that uh, and I, I think just to go back to Ben's point, which is how do you, what is the data set, especially for, especially since a lot of these models are pre-existed or, or even if you're just starting out on even a non-production level machine learning project, right? And, and I think to your point, I think that like classic algorithms can't cope with unknown issues. I think that's kind of the, that's one of the hardest parts. So what I always tell people, it's not about predicting the future. It's about predicting the highest statistical likelihood <laughs> of something to occur, for something to occur. And that could be within lines of code to even just the timing of a B2B product, consumer product, 
or what, whatever kind of tooling. I'll give an example. I remember there was this, are you guys familiar with Bubble? Bubble? It is, I don't want to butcher it, but I, I believe it is a, it is a no code visual tooling. I, I like to think of it as perhaps the next generation of Wix or Squarespace or something like that. And I remember when I had moved to New York a few years ago, I think they're a New York based company and, and they had been in the circuit for like, I don't know, seven years, I mean, a long time for essentially an early stage startup, a very long time for an early stage startup. And it wasn't until just, I think two months ago and 2021 did they raise like three digit million in funding and it just it took it's this is all to say this is all to say the the founders they had a vision they had a, a they had an understanding of on a macro level this is the likelihood of of this tooling needing to be created because as human beings as developers this is how we are creating for the future or the access the democratization of becoming a developer or the democratization of becoming a builder or even a creator like terms that we use say becoming a creator this this tooling needs to be more easily accessible and this is how products are being built nowadays and and you know funding or vcs are are finally catching on but i i think oh gosh tangent back into you know how do you design for this unknown it is I like to think of it as not designing for the unknown, but providing databases and providing learning models so that you can design for the statistical likelihood of something to happen. And it can be as grandiose as the example that I just shared with Bubble or all the way down to just your your lines of code. I really thoroughly enjoyed how you explained that. It's something that I, I find myself repeating to people a lot who are lay people who are interacting with ML. They're like, why didn't it get the prediction right? (laughs) Well, it's just the statistical likelihood that this is going to happen. Here's what it's based on. And it's based on your training data and what what it's assuming based on its correlation of of what the likelihood is. So yeah, I think that's, that's awesome. And that ties into actually how we at Databricks are working on auto ML instead of creating like a black box system that just gives you that end state where a lot of services, they do that. They're like, here's your model, run it wherever you want it, but all the internal stuff is hidden. We can't. We went down the sort of the transparent box route where we do that, but we also show all the code that the system generates. It's like, here's the actual pipeline that's being created. Here's the lines of code that we've written for you that you can then modify. Do you think that's that's kind of where the industry is moving for some of these low code, sort of a hybrid low code, but also code gen system so that you can appeal to not just the people that aren't, that don't have a strong development background or developers that just don't want to spend their time, as Chuck said, working on a bunch of framework, boilerplate stuff. Yeah, I I love that you bring this up because I think of the development tool ecosystem or the the tooling ecosystem as different spheres or orbs, right? I'll I'll try to give an example. I think when people talk about and maybe maybe to your point, machine learning, there's just this this big word, these this big word that's like machine learning. But within machine learning, there's like computer vision, there's AI, there is predictive modeling, which is something that I'm totally a fan. Like that's that's what I like. There's also then data science. There's just so many spheres. I would also like to, um, just last night, I learned how to dry stick 
a manual car. That was my first time. It was hard. But the another another thing is is like I think of it as vehicles, like the world of vehicles. I I love biking. I love getting from point A to point B on a bike. Some people prefer a car, so on and so forth. So in terms, so I'm going to answer your question from like a macro level and then just from a personal experience level. And, and I think on a macro level, you know, your question of like, where is it going? Where is that AI going that may be for loco tools? And I think that there are just different types of tooling for different types of stacks. So again, you one could call Squarespace a low-code tool. I, I think that's actually probably pretty accurate. And that's definitely not for a developer. But even yesterday, I was talking to a senior developer. He's been a software engineer for 12 years. And he's like, oh yeah, I'm building, I'm building this thing on Wix. And I was like, but you've been a software engineer for 12 years. Why are you building it on Wix? Um, it, they just need they just needed to prove their MVP really quickly. And then a lot of the folks on their team are not are not technical or not software engineers, but they're technical enough where they can go in and update, you know, X, Y, and Z. They can update the banner, they can update the front page of a call to action button, whatever it is. So when it comes to when it comes to the landscape in general, I think that as it, this is, I mean, I could talk about this forever. As developers are becoming builders or founders, or and then there's creators who are creating things that goes into a kind of a different space than what we would typically talk about in the in the traditional like machine learning world is that as your end user is changing there is just a plethora of tooling that really almost niches into the user because the the tool is powerful but it's only as powerful as the driver itself and now there's just so many different types of drivers and and that's on a macro level. And if I were to bring it down just from a personal experience of being a developer advocate out systems and, and this tooling, you still, both out systems and, and other types of, different types of tooling, you still need to be able to understand software architecture, proper design, understanding what you're building. It's kind of like if you have a kitchen and a stovetop and some ingredients, you can still make food. But if you don't know the fundamentals of pairing seasonings and and flavor profiles, it doesn't really come out the same way. It's kind of like if your great grandpa is trying to make something with Wix and then it just comes out like a really... Like, where's the... Where's the call? To, where, why is the navigation bar in the center next to next to the about page? Right, like that's pretty darn silly. But in terms of in terms of out systems, like or the way we approach AI assisted development is really building the fundamental building blocks for pervasive assistance and automation throughout the product and for the language evolution. So we, we kind of look at it this like six, seven steps. So when you're a developer and you're building with the tooling or, or kind of the cycle of like, wait, are you building machine learning tool to build a machine learning for other products? <laughs> right, right. That, that like chicken and the egg is it's, we like the seven steps is really like we we do this plan, like in the tooling itself, you, you plan, you have the design, you have the design prototype itself. Then you develop then you develop it. It goes. It, there's a live product, and then you assure quality. So we have, you know, a, debu- a debugging naturally built in. Then you have the deploy process itself. Then you're able to monitor it, and then you're able to operate the product or the build that you have just built. So, do you think tools like that will eventually look through a build that you you do? Like, 
anytime that I'm building something like an application for a customer or internal tooling, one of the like once you get to a certain level in your career of being familiar with enough languages, enough frameworks, the coding part of it, like just the creation part of it, doesn't really take that long. You're not looking stuff up online. You're not looking through books. You just have sort of had it seared into your mind about how to craft your code architecture. Like, oh, these are the modules I need to create. Here's the classes I need, objects, traits, whatever. And that part becomes very quick and fast. And then you're spending more and more time writing all of your unit tests, provided that you're not doing pure TDD, which is really hard for ML. But you spend that time doing that and you build some integration tests. And then you spend a bunch of time seeing how it can break if it's significantly important. Do you see AI systems with sort of test assist modularity or functionality in there where it'll say, I'm going to brute force test a bunch of things that you probably, dear human, are not actually thinking about that could blow up in your face. Do you see that as an extension of of IDEs such as the one that your company does? Yeah, I would say that in in general, if if you have... How do I, how do I think about this when it comes to, so to your, so, you know, to kind of recap your point, which is you have a lot of these toolings and, and, you know, I don't need to talk about our systems in general, like our systems specifically, but in general, you have a lot of these toolings, right? And with these toolings, it, you're able to expedite your build. I mean, Docker, I mean, Postman is amazing. Like now you can build APIs a lot more effectively with Postman versus having to stitch everything together. I mean, Stripe is an incredible tool. Like, can you imagine trying to make payment, like making just like code for line by line code for, for just accepting payments, right? And so, so to your point, I think, yes, a lot of these toolings, integrations, APIs, they expedite and speed up your build. But to your point, like, the brute force testing. There, I think there's two things, and this is why I don't know. You know, I don't know if it's called low code tools or no code tools or you know whatever whatever developer toolings in general. Like the two things that are still consistent is that you still need to have intent, and this kind of goes back to our earlier conversation with intent is really really hard to to write. Like classical software and algo can't cope with the unknown, right? So so intent that human piece still needs to be the driver. Um, you can still write predictive models to, to again, have, have an outcome that has, you still can write predictive models for the statistical likelihood of something to happen. So that that's, you know, that intent side. And then, you know, to your point with the brute force testing is, is like with the way I think of it, and this is me just generalizing, like a junior developer might, pr- might set a print or, or set an alert, but a senior developer, you will be, you'll be logging, you'll be going through that logging process, right? So, so that's, yeah, that's how I think of it. And, and I think, if we look at machine learning systems in general, is that the entry point or the orchestrator is at the core of the machine learning system. And it interacts with, you know, the whole system architecture itself where the orchestrator, you know, essentially orchestrates the workflow. And so there is to a degree AI guided. And then there's also to agree the 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 testing is still needed uh, because you have, there is computational desire and then there is also just human human reality there is human reality and uh yeah yeah i guess it's i'm just having a moment of like of reflecting on like the 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 beauty of of bringing the human touch to technology yeah yeah definitely i mean i still have some let's say 
day waking nightmares about oh my gosh. shipping edge models to like iOS apps and Android apps where <laughs> we thought we had oh. all of the unit tests done. Like our Docker container, we brute force tested the heck out of the ML portion of it. We're like, yeah, we got this down. We release it. The build passes with an integration test because we were collectively, the front-end developers and the, the ML team worked really hard on defining what that integration test should be. And within minutes of pushing it out to the app stores, we were getting all sorts of just garbage in the logs about broken experience because it was trying to populate content in the app and it was populating stuff that was not yet available to be shown on the app. So it, almost every pane wow. was just empty because we didn't test that aspect of it. Nobody had thought of it. And, and it was obvious when we saw it. We're like, oh, why did we miss this? This is so dumb. But mm. we didn't have a tool set up that could say, hey, let's test all of these things that you might be missing. And those integrated systems, like a lot of companies are moving towards that of like, hey, we're embedding either a deep learning model or a traditional ML directly into our application. Not just one app. I mean, not, not just one model, ensembles of models. You know, it could be a dozen containers that are embedded within the app. They get pushed out. And as you add those, those new bits of functionality, everything becomes far more complicated and complex. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that you touch on this point because I think we oftentimes talk about technology changing the world. and and what in reality is, is you have, yes, applications, technology that does impact the world. So when we, when we talk about proper systems, architecture design, one of the things to your point, Ben, is how do you, how do you build that evaluator into either your systems or into your applications or, or, or whatever that is? And so there, there are two important objectives behind model evaluation. There is the like, comparing models and then deciding whether it's safe to integrate a model into an application. And so typically you'll see this in the form of an error and even something as simple as like VS Code linter. It will underline in red to show you, hey, the syntax is broken. And that is so, that is so critical. I'll give, I'll give an example because there is... There's there's two examples. I, I used to work I used to work as a technical lead on a mission operation software at a space company. So we built satellites Ooh. and ground stations. Yeah, so we built satellites and ground stations, and our software was able to speak to our satellites and then the spacecraft, which was our clients. <laughs> and there is this, gosh darn it, there is this famous. So within the industry, you you learn. Not only do you learn a lot of use cases, but you your code has to be right because once you send that <laughs> that million dollar CubeSat into space, you're like, oh, okay, there's there's no like, oh, can we bring this offline and then just you know, and just like, can we just rewrite? Can we just debug this? No, it's it's up there, you, it's up there, right? And there's this there's this spacecraft, and I'm forgetting, gosh darn it, I'm forgetting the the, the name right now, but basically they. They had, yeah, they they had the wrong variable, and so it was it was not aligned. It was not aligning. It was like they were trying to cram like a sixteen four bit something into a sixteen bit. And oh, by by the way, like even air quotes modern, even air quote modern software and spacecraft is very very dated because it because it works right because it works, uh -huh. and that code was that variable was off, and so it actually turned it. This, I think it was 1994, they turned the rocket at the wrong degree. And so it just, it just crashed. Like it, oh, man. instead of up, 
it went like either sideways or, or it was a 90 degree, it was a 90 degree change. Oh, right? I remember that in the yeah. news. Yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. So I, I was a, I was a, I was a little sprout in 1994, but, but yes, it, the point that I'm trying to say is that yes, you need to build an evaluators and that could be, that could be as, as grandiose as, as a spacecraft or even at a bank, right? I worked in the, in the banking yeah. industry for a long time and Oh my gosh. Like it's, if, if <laughs> I've done if, some of that work. Right. Right. Yeah. The, you're, you're sweating. Right. If you, yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, like if a oh, bank, I accidentally charged you $11 million. Oh, oh, uh, yes. Char- yeah. So, so, <laughs> or an integer overflow and you're like, hey, we owe you $17 million. Yeah. Yes. That's exactly correct. So I think, wow, this is all to say building an evaluators, no matter how big, may it be a spacecraft or, or even like an error, a trading error or a, a transaction error. There was this, uh, this hedge. Medical software is the other one that I always hear about, right? It's like, yeah, will it kill someone or, you know, in a pacemaker, you you don't want to call somebody and say, Hey, we got, we have to open you up again. Right. Right. And so I think, I think it goes back to, as, as we talk about, developers driving the intent. I also want to put in there, like, what is the intent of any kind of AI development or smart application or whatever it is? It is about, it is about alleviating bandwidth constraints mm-hmm. as human beings and pro air quotes procreating, but procreating applications and technological advancement in society. And and there is a wonderful sociologist. He's one of the founders of Sociologists, uh, sociology, Durkheim and Durkheim in the 1800s. Durkheim in the 1800s talks about what happens when humanity is automated out of a job, out of out of their job, right? And and uh, no, wait, is it the 1800s? Durkheim was it might have been even the 1700s, but but nonetheless, he this was his his thesis. This was his life's work, which is what happens when that's removed and. And I think at least as, as an engineer, like what I've seen is, is that humans are still here. Intent is still here. So that needs to be leveraged and whatever, whatever tooling. I still, I still make popcorn on a stovetop though. I don't, I don't trust my microwave. I, so I don't use that kind of automation. I still like to. Same here. Yeah. It just tastes better. <laughs> tastes I'm lazy. Better. <laughs> I push the buttons. <laughs> but it, yeah. One of the things that I had a date with my wife, then we make it on the stovetop. Good stuff. <laughs> One yeah. of the things that I see as a corollary to that is, well, two points. The, f- the first point about tool-assisted development is catching humanity's sort of default mode of just overlooking stuff. So if there's, there's AI-assisted tooling that is looking at your code base holistically and saying, I just analyzed your 47,000 lines of code. We have code coverage tests. We have all of that stuff. If it's been around for many, many years, they don't enforce anything though. And they don't help you to, to get that better or detect when you're about to do something that could be bad. And that's what I think would be awesome if that's widely adopted in industry with, with approving this AI assisted tooling is to say, hey, you should be looking at the code here. So sort of an advanced ML-based linter that's going through and saying, hey, this is a critical part of your code that's used by 70% of all of your your functions and methods throughout your code base. You really need to exhaustively test this because it is 
one of the most critical parts of the code. And then my second point with uh, with automating, and that's something that you hear that in in non technical circles all the time. Everybody complains about that. I've I've been the recipient of that that vitriol as a data scientist working for many diff- different companies. When you start working with a new team on a project for the first time, somebody invariably brings that up. And it gets really old after a while hearing it, like, oh, you're trying to auto- automate us out of a job. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I'm trying to free you from the monotonous burden of the annoying stuff that you waste most of your time doing. Because a computer can do that or an algorithm can do that. I'm trying to let you do what you what no computer can do, which is be creative and be a creator and solve interesting problems using your mind that a computer probably won't be able to solve for hundreds of years. So if ever. Yeah. Those are my well, two I, points. I, I no, thank you for sharing. I mean that's that has brought up so like so many reactions in my head. I mean I mean number one, I think even even now when you are in let's say in tech and startups, again, you have founders, you have developers, you have indie hackers, you have, you know, side hustlers, and now now you have creators, right? These these creators, they were once called like YouTube influencers or or whatever it is. Like now you are able to build, but the the idea is like you want you want to both democratize access, but also remove any unnecessary bandwidth constraints or or production or remove any kind of production constraints. And so Ben to your point of of like, oh, automating out of a job, I to bring it down back in the day as a little sprout, I I was a teller. I had to like physically count money and <laughs> and I would I would count the money wrong. Sorry, everyone. I would count it, and then you have to do it again. I'd have to do it again, and then again, and then you'd be sweating. Like, am I going to get fired? Like, human error, right? Ninety percent of driving error is human error, right? And so, so I'm like, please put in the ATM. I, I don't, I don't want to be responsible to dish out twenty dollars, right? Did you want it in tens? Is it in ones? How about in twenty dollars in quarters? Like. What what if I'm missing a quarter, right? And so to your point, which is like, and if we bring it back to like IDEs and, and lenting, as you had just mentioned, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Kite. Kite for for like Kite is a Chrome extension. It's kind of like Grammarly, really. And it, um, well, sorry, not a Chrome extension. It's um, an IDE extension. And it predicts, it. it's essentially Grammarly for Python. Like if I was to use an analogy. I've heard of it. Yeah, it's it's super baller. Like I'm I'm a total fan of it. And so like within your data linter, I sometimes I like to you know talk about like the grand the ground truth collector, which is essentially like this is what you want in your machine learning model to predict. And especially in the example of kite. So as as you're writing in Python, you're able to to define your functions and the syntax provides guidance for that predictive model. So it again it goes back to it goes back to the intent uh, in the predictive model that you that you already that you're able to build out but there there needs to be um yeah i don't know humans are always like we're going to get automated out or just ai is going to replace us and it's like it's it's first of all if there is ai like cy- like not cyborg senten- is that word i think sentience sentience, sentience right there sense first of all that is insanely hard and if if humanity could uh, yeah. ever oh yeah if that could like 
I feel like maybe for software engineers, like we're not afraid of that because it's just like, how, um, <laughs> how would you build that? Right. Please explain. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's just so insanely hard. Um, Open head, attached brain. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> right. Right. But I mean, I, I, I think the thing is, it's like hu- human creativity. Uh huh. Human creativity is you can't really copy and paste that. You can fork code, but the human ingenuity is just so incredible and beautiful. And even last night, like I, even last night I was getting blasted with text. The the Tesla bot robot thing. Did anyone see that with the, the dancing on stage Tesla okay. robot? No. Oh, no. I didn't read the article that I saw no, this morning. No, you guys, it was one o'clock in the morning. I shouldn't have been awake, but it was just so over. It was like. <laughs> Tesla robot, what the hell is he doing? I, I don't know. I was, I, it was just too, it was, I was overwhelmed. I was like, not another AI bot from another billionaire who can self moonwalk on stage. Like, I was like, I'll just leave it to like Boston Robotics or something. Yeah. So that was, I want to do a robot moonwalk. Oop. Hey, folks, it's Charles Maxwood. And I just wanted to jump in here and let you know about something that I'm doing. It's free. It's, out there just to help you get answers to your questions about the things that you're running into with your career. So if you have questions about how to get further ahead in your career, how to start a podcast, how to get a better job, how to get a raise, how to deal with a situation at work with your boss, or just maybe you're stuck and you don't know where to go next. You know, how do I get from junior to senior, senior to whatever's next? How do I become a speaker? How do I get to the next level? That's what I'm out here to do. So every Wednesday at 12 o'clock Mountain Time, I'm going to be doing a call and it's going to be free, totally free. Go to devchat.tv slash level up and you can register for the call. It's using Zoom's webinar software. So it's pretty straightforward. And what we're going to be doing is I'll do 10 minutes and I'll just show you how I do some form of how I level up. And then We'll just answer questions. And it's not going to be a question and answer like, hey, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? And then I say Rocky Road or whatever, right? Instead, what we're looking for is more along the lines of, yeah, I have this situation. How do I handle it? I'm trying to figure this thing out. How do I figure it out? I'm trying to stay current. How do I stay current? And if you have any of those kinds of questions, I'll bring you on the call. We'll ask some deeper questions. We'll make sure we get you a solid answer. And I'm really looking forward to helping some people out. There will be no sales, no selling, no nothing on these calls. It is literally just 10 minutes of training and then Q&A. So you can go check it out at devchat.tv slash level up. You know, it's, it's interesting, though, because what you're talking about is how do we put it? So it, it kind of brings to mind, I was watching a show. And if you're not into like Christian shows, that's fine. I was watching The Chosen. I do love VeggieTales. Yeah, there you go. I, do um, love I was watching The Chosen and it, it's kind of a, it's a series about the life of Jesus Christ, but they, they kind of flesh out the backgrounds of some of these folks. Anyway, the point that was made was that Peter and Andrew, who are two of the apostles, it's really early in their journey, but they basically said, we learned to fish by going out on the boat with dad, right? And he didn't teach us how to fish. We picked it up by watching him, right? And the point that you're kind of making is, is that we're modeling the good behavior of these systems, right, to help us to do the right thing by watching people do the right thing. That, that's, that's what kind of came up in my mind. And so as we come up with better practices for new technologies, for better things, for new things, for, you know, what, however this connects, we're always going to need that human model, right? 
we're always going to need people solving the new problem in a new way. And then we're going to need these AI tools or machine learning tools to train in systems to then prompt people, right? To write the functions in the right way, to write the algorithms in the right way, to use the tool in the right way, and to to kind of model what we come up with, right? But yeah, it's really difficult to make it come up with that in the first place. Does that make sense? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, and it, so this actually begs me, this actually begs me to ask, like, I'm going to ask you guys a question. Like, do you think we're going to get to a point where it's like, hey, Siri, build me a a dating app? Like, and then it just like <laughs> populate. And then like, and then because it's all integrated, right? So then the I, and then it just... See, let's see, probably won't see Swift is Swift and then just auto populates. And then on your desktop, there's like a dating app. And you're like, oh, okay, here you know, like, are we gonna get there? We just like, hey, can you build this? And then just it occurs. I mean, we're kind of like more than halfway there with stuff like Terraform, where you can say, hey, we have a static right. architecture that we know is an archetype for this particular app. And we, we do it all the time with our customers at Databricks, like, hey, we need to build an ETL pipeline that has ingest for Kafka and this is how many shards that Kafka has, or this is the volume of our data source. So let's just configure all that in, in uh, Terraform and then deploy that. And it just spins up all of these different services. And we're getting there close to that at Databricks for, with Del- Delta Live tables where it'll autonomously write your ETL pipeline for you. It, it's basically no code or extremely low code because it's something that's predictable that is kind of done the same way every time. So I think templatizing entire applications, we're not that far away from doing stuff like that. But anytime that you need to do something specific, it's like, oh, well, we have this this nuance in how our business operates. That's when somebody has to go in and edit it and modify it. Mm -hmm. And depending on how much sort of tech debt and business debt about processes that your company has that diverges from the agreed upon standards dictates how much more complexity you have to put into that system. But Charles, what you were mentioning, that that really got me thinking about something that, that dictates how to do something the right way. I've had that conversation with people a bunch, actually, because I've had customers that ask me, like, hey, could you could you build an NLP model with us that can like write all of this code for us? Like, what's your training set? Like, hopefully it's not your code. Because I've seen your code, <laughs> and oh. you don't want the AI to learn that. Um, I have, I have the, a running joke on some of the shows that I'm the unicorn, <laughs> but seriously, don't use my code either. Right, right. It's like in Python, like we we're talking about. You, yeah. What happens when you look through a code base and there's a hundred for loops in there, just smattered out everywhere, and the, the dev team might not even know. Like the, particularly, like software devs know. But like not to do that, but data science code, you'll have nested for loops in there or if else chains that are like hundreds of conditions long. And you definitely don't want an ML application to learn that. Like that is big oh no computation <laughs> instead of you know efficient stuff. I like, like that. It's like, <laughs> hey, here's a list comprehension. Like this is what you should be using. It's compiled Cython code that is extremely efficient in its execution. So that really just got me thinking like, hey, what if what if there are an AI out there that's just doing peer reviews or actual traditional code reviews? It's looking through your code and rewriting inefficient stuff. It's like, hey, I, know, I could see what you're doing here, but let's not do that. 
today. Like, here's a different way to do that. I mean, gosh, that's why banks have auditors, right? I mean, there's just so much errors to catch. And even may it be, mm-hmm. you, you know, in a traditional sense, you you work at a bank or you are a software engineer and trying to find code. It's, there is, there is just so much, there is only so much like bandwidth capacity to pick up, to pick up errors or, or detail, et cetera, you know, et cetera. And I think that when it comes to, and I think even looping back around to your point of what you said with Databricks, like we're, we're pretty much almost there. And now that you mentioned this, I'm like, okay, yeah, you're right. You could, in theory, like if you had Google Google Assistants, I mean, their, their API is always pretty open. You could in th- maybe build in a Zapier and then connect to Shopify and then be like Shopify. But if, if, if you look at <laughs> Shopify, if you literally pu- push the button, like create store, that's essentially it. Like then your store is automatically created, which is nuts. And, and, and like, again, like I mentioned, like uh, their programming language, Liquid, it's their own native programming language. You still like to be able to even program or make the nuance adjustments, Ben, what you, what you mentioned, it's like, okay, it's, it's my shop, my shop is built, but now there's the nuances, right? And then how much, I mean, how much tech debt, tech debt does whatever company who then later decides to move into Shopify, with Liquid, you still need to know, I mean, their language itself, you still need to know like C++, PHP, JS, to even be able to learn how to code in Shopify Liquid and, and make those uh, nuanced adjustments. And uh, yeah, yeah. And then there's, of course, then you still have to build in integrations and then intents and pretty nuts. But the real thing with that AI assisting is you can get there in measured in weeks versus, and in a fraction of the cost for number of humans involved in doing it versus, oh, I need to hire out a team of of 16 C++ developers to build a backend for me. Like, how long is that going to take? A year, two years to build all of that? And it's, with these code assists, you can be like, it's going to take us three weeks to get our business rules into this new engine. And we only need four people to do it. I think that as we are moving, so I think to your point, I think as we are moving towards efficiency and AI-assisted development, I think this is the tech industry's way of like radical self-actualization mm-hmm. as humanity and our interaction and progression with technology. Definitely. Yeah, that makes me think of a, a video I watched yesterday, actually, that uh, since you were speaking about aeronautical engineering, a company that's, that's printing 3D rockets with, uh, rockets with uh, 3D printing, and they're sending them to space. <laughs> I think in another month or so, they're going to do their first test flight. That's crazy. Uh, but it's, they're printing the entire thing, pretty much. The engine, the, the nozzles, the actual diffusion plate, and it's shrinking what would normally be done. And even SpaceX does this. They still use the same techniques and manufacturing processes that they were doing when they were building the Atlas rocket or the Mercury program. Metal workers and people bending aluminum, casting aluminum in this components-based Henry Ford Model T era of manufacturing, and they're complex. You know, rocket engine—it's a couple hundred thousand pieces that you have to assemble. You have to weld together, like braze weld or or spot weld together, and it it costs. That's why it, they cost so much money. And this company was like, "No, we're going to 3D print it." Uh, we're going to melt aluminum wire together to form solid aluminum. And, oh, by the way, we can produce a rocket in in a month. And SpaceX takes a year and a half to build one from start to finish. And it's 
it's a hundred times cheaper. I think the same thing is happening now in, in software development. That's why it's so exciting to have this conversation because I think this is that same corollary that that company is trying to do. Yeah, that's incredibly beautiful that you've mentioned this analogy. I think that that's like when you bring up the example of hardware production, people see it immediately. It's so tangible. It's it's not almost personal. It's not a personal reflection of their ability, but humanity's ability <clears throat> to produce something so grandiose so quickly, right? And so I think sometimes when it comes to to the software side, we we interact and we build software on such an intimate level. It is almost a reflection of ourselves as an individual <clears throat> and our capabilities. But uh, it, it shouldn't, it, you know, it shouldn't be the case because again, when you look at the capabilities on a grand scale, such as hardware, such as the spacecraft, it is so moving because it is it is a reflection of humanity's abilities, rather than just like I mean, I, I'm guilty of that. I I said to my my friend who's a senior software engineer, I'm like, why are you building this on Wix? But it's like, I mean, he, he, and he literally is like, he's like, I can make this so yep. much faster now and I could just, I could just ship it. And that's, that's what they really want. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. But right, but I, I, I even was like, wait, why? Why? Because you're so capable. And, and mm-hmm. rather than, rather than it's like, why did you just 3D print a spacecraft from scratch? Why can't you just, wield the mat wield the metal and then in a giant warehouse but and but we're like oh my oh my god you can oh my god you can do that right and it, it's yeah it's pretty it's it's pretty nuts and impressive and and i actually haven't heard about this so i'm so excited to check that out but i uh i do know that even again so i was working in mountain view a lot of the, the a lot of the other space companies such as planet labs now called planet um they also built their satellites in house so they built their satellites in house and you you could go into their office in san francisco which is super weird. And you go into San Francisco, you go into their op and you have these, these folks in like these, I'm forgetting what they're called. They're like, uh, like not a hazmat suit, but essentially a hazmat suit. Clean room uh, suits. Yes, there you go. I used to wear them. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. There you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Super stylish. They, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's nuts. And I remember even in San Francisco back in the day, I'd be in the mission and then there would be this like gated parking lot where I believe it was where Uber was test driving they're, they're like AI-assisted cars. And this is back in 2016, 15. And I would I would tell people, I'm like, yo, this is, dude, this is what they're doing in that parking lot. But it was like 2015. They're like, what? No. And I was like, what do you think they're collecting all of this data for? This is for the learning algorithms, right? <laughs> like Uber, Uber knows, Uber knows when you're going on a date or you broke up with somebody because your patterns, your human patterns have changed. You no longer visit your partner down, you know, here again and again and again, whatever it is. Right. So, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty bonkers. Well, that, that brings up almost a metaphysical discussion. And it, it's one of the sub themes of my book, which is solving problems the simplest way possible and why that's so critical. When your your friend that you're talking about, like, hey, why didn't you just write your own stack and build your own framework to to do this website? And your friend's response is perfect. It's my exact response to people as well. And an analogy that I used frequently, like particularly as data scientists, a lot of people are in that algorithm headspace. They're like, I need to use the coolest tech, the most complicated stuff. I'm using 
Terrace and TensorFlow with multi-GPU distributed training for every single problem. That's all people are thinking about. They think that lines of code and code complexity directly correlates to their perceived capabilities and how valuable they are in the community. And that's always only in everybody's head. Nobody else cares. The only thing that anybody cares is if you're solving a problem. And the faster you can solve that problem, that provides value to other people, that provides value to your business, that provides value to your peers, and then the simpler it is in design and orchestration, that's what people value. They're like, wow, I can't believe that they just solved that in two weeks and it works. And I'm not getting called on pager duty for it blowing up in my face. This is awesome. <laughs> oh my gosh. Nice pager duty. I mean, I think to your point, it's it's minimizing, it's minimizing error, right? Mm-hmm. It's a minimizing human error, it's minimizing code base error, which is essentially human error because hello, we're we're the ones who's who's making it. Yep. So so yeah, I think that that's very much truly, truly the case. I also think that when it comes to when it comes to the way we are building, it's it's really about like what is it that we are trying to ship, right? What is it that we want to bring forth, bring forth? And and I think this is to your point, like what most what we care about and humanity as society is like, what is it that we're creating? What are we, what businesses are we building? What technologies or innovations are we creating? And it shouldn't, it's, it's not about, it's not about, it's not really about like, like what, it's not about like the nitty gritty details of like how, how great you are on this journey. It's about like just going on this journey together and, and, and making it, making it come to fruition. Where are we exploring next? I mean, that's that's the mantra of humanity. How are we how are we chasing the future in the best way possible? That's why we've explored this entire planet. That's why we continue to explore our solar system. That's why we're we're funding exploration of exoplanets right now. Humanity has an inner drive to pursue the next frontier. And the simpler, more efficient, faster way that we do that in any endeavor that we do, I think that resonates with all of us collectively of seeing we are making progress. We are getting better. We are seeing more things. We are exploring that unknown. Wow, we went deep on this conversation. This is this is fascinating. Yeah, that's why I'm 3D printing my own rocket car satellites in my garage that are self-driving. Self-flying. Self-flying, driving. 3D printed Tesla that's in a, a SpaceX 3D printed yeah. rocket. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that this goes back to like how human creativity cannot, it's almost irreplaceable because we have so many desires. There's no computational desire. Like we humans have desire. And so kind of to bring it back, Ben, what you had just said a moment ago, which is like, it's about using the most effective tooling to get to where you want to go. Another great example, another great example is I've worked in the blockchain ecosystem for a for quite some time. And when it comes to software engineers who are building in that specific vertical or in those specific stacks, may it be Solidity or Cello or Stack, you know, whatever it is, what they care about, what we what devs in the blockchain space really nerd out about is their protocol, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's the, the belief that their specific protocol is going to do X, Y, and Z. They don't care what like DAP or web application or mobile, like they don't care how it's built. They just want to know, can it be integrated? Can I populate this world with this specific protocol and, and, and to achieve 
maybe let's say decentralization or market efficiency right. or or exchange efficiency. And so when it comes to maybe web web two tooling or web three tooling, again, they they care about implementing the technological vision, but they will they they're not married to the toolings to get to that point to achieve that point. Because at that point, and I'm I'm just kind of like, you know, kind of joking here, they they've achieved they they have like air quotes achieve a different level of realization they're just like they're beyond web 2 now they're just like all right we mobile you know yeah it's like yeah yeah you can build this wallet with js you know python whatever you know whatever toolings they don't care they're just like but can it but can it use this protocol actually can we fork can we fork the ethereum protocol and make it you know much more efficient a uh, lower latency better transaction safer whatever like that's what they really care about so we're just kind of dovetailing your point yeah, and that's that's a good message for anybody in the audience from the data science community who are wed to a particular. It's, I always see it happen in like years two through eight of somebody's career as a data scientist or an ML engineer, where people fetishize and obsess over a particular language or framework, and that's all they care about. They care about the purity of like oh. We only use R for all of our stuff. We, we don't look at Python or the people that come from his backend software development range. I used to be one of these people. I was like, I hate Python. I'm a Scala dev. That's all I do. Or oh I'm God. only going to write in Java. And it's Python. pointless. Yeah, it's pointless. I use Python every single day in my job. And I've grown to just see it as the tool that it is. There's things that you have to do differently in Python than you would have to do in a strongly typed language or something that runs in the JVM, but just get over it and solve problems. That's really all that matters. The, the tools don't matter. There are ways to get clever and, and keep the code as simple as possible. But yeah, the, the more that other tooling can make that process that much easier to craft in whatever language, whatever framework, whatever use case that you're doing is so that you can rapidly iterate and get to that nirvana state of solving problems faster is going to be big. I think that for, then, I mean, just to reflect on what you said, I think for me, what I really love about either toolings or stacks, I do love Python, right? Because you can use it for data science. You can use it for building websites. <laughs> you can use it for financial tooling. I mean, you know, so what I love is also the interoperability of certain toolings, protocols, stacks, languages. But I think we kind of talked about this earlier in the show, which is there's, there's really like three things that I personally really like about or, or kind of checks the box for me is again, does it have like a declarative nature, right? So we talked about imperative approach and declarative approach. What's just the user experience, right? So when Docker came out for managing containers, it, it blew my mind. I was like, oh my gosh, right? And so it allowed, yeah, it allowed, at least it made it for me, made, made it easier to manage my containers if I'm not like the best backend or DevOps kind of of kind of engineer as an example. And then of course, for me, it's just like, what is the consensus? What is everyone agreeing to use? It could be a tooling, sure, but kind of like the car situation, or yeah, like the vehicle situation. This actually, this is legit. Like this people, when we go partying, people are like, people will take a train, they'll take an Uber, whatever. There's just so, and I'm just like, I'm just going to bike there. I'll, I'll see y'all there. Like we're meeting at the party. What time? Okay. I just, And I'm not, I'm not even going to try like, like, Y'all go and however you want to get there, I'm going to bike there. But uh, yeah, so so again, what I like to see in a, in a tooling or a stack is just uh, also consensus. Like, what are we trying 
to build? Are are these toolings at the very least interoperable? Great. That's that's <clears> wonderful. I mean, people still build in COBOL, I guess, and it still works somewhere. You, <laughs> you tell me. You know, I'm starting the AI COBOL show next week. What? I'm just kidding. Oh, oh, I was I, I believed you. I was so confused. I was like, oh, interesting. I guess I'll check it out. Cause why not? I like to learn. Oh. HPC computing simulations. There we go. We we actually do have some customers at Databricks that not people that we interact with, but sometimes I've been on calls with the data science team and they're like, oh, we have these people from that we're going to be working with from this other team and uh, they work on the mainframe. And I'm like, ooh, can I ask them questions? Because I'm just curious, like naturally curious. <laughs> like, what problems are you solving? And they're like, well, we're doing causality analysis at massive scale. And I'm like, wow. that is awesome. How many simulations are you running? And they're like 10 to the 34. I'm like, how long does that take to run? And they're like, well... You know, each simulation run takes about six weeks to run. I'm like, that is insane. How many CPU cores do you have? And they're like 350,000. I'm like, wow. But yeah, they have to use these low-level languages and they're crafting everything from scratch. I don't think that AI-assisted tooling is going to be solving that use case yet. <laughs> but uh, I think that advances in the cloud and some of the stuff with Python actually, and particularly the underlying C++ libraries that are written that Python interfaces with that mm. are running on HPC environments like an AWS with their new ARM-based architecture that they yep, yep. Uh, released, that is going to see finally after decades of people being wedded to homegrown mainframes and doing scientific computing, that's finally going to come to the cloud and they'll be able to use some of these tools. They're like, hey, what is everybody else using? Oh, this is so much easier. Yeah, I, th- I think that's coming too. Yeah, I mean, that's so that's so well said. And I think it's just so, it's like coming. And I also feel like as as a developer, it's also like a humbling experience that I'm, and also I'm also just like still reliving just you nerding out because I could, <laughs> I could, I know for real though, I was like, oh my God, I, like, I feel like I was there. Like I'm kind of getting goosebumps, right? I le- legit, <laughs> legit, I have goosebumps right now. And I was just like, oh, I wish I was sitting right next to Ben and be like, how, so how, like, and how, how, long, work? Did that, how long did that take? And you're just like, ooh, tell me more. And, uh, yep. and that kind of just, kind of a side tangent that, that reminds me of um, this one time there was this exclusive party in New York and there was a ticketing system. I won't say which one, but it is a famous ticketing system. And I, I am not the best data scientist. And I was, I was writing an I was writing an algorithm to guess and break the RSVP code just so I can get a ticket. And at that, and at that point, it wasn't even about me like trying to get a ticket. It was like can like can I make a model to guess like the accurate RSVP code because I want just just and it, and it started to pivot into like me nerding out and I didn't even <laughs> care about the party anymore. And then to kind of to answer your question, I I think the model was saying something like it was going to take like 30 something years to guess. And I was like, really? I'm just going to. And then I and then I emailed the organizers and then they gave it to me. So then it was not as it was not as fun. <laughs> but yes, I. <laughs> yes. You might have gotten a, an immediate invite if you emailed their IT department and showed them just like, hey, by the way, here's some code. Right. Don't try to run this, but. And they're like, yes, you are you are VIP status immediately. Oh, it didn't it didn't work, but I, I think the, the I think the journey was quite fun. The journey yes. was and yeah, and the, and then my intent, my intent changed. You see, mm-hmm. it's like I want to go to this party. Now it's like, how do I write a model that I can actually break this code? Because I c- can I just do it? Is it possible? Is it feasible? <laughs> nice. That's awesome. And then I didn't want to wait. 
I think it was like 30 something years. And I was like, all right, maybe I'll just, <laughs> and the, the model was bad. I mean, all of it was bad. I was like, all my stats classes did nothing for me. Yeah. You just don't want to share to us how you're getting at all the exclusive events. Well, if you just, again, low code, if you just email the organizers. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was like, hey, can I? And then they're like, okay. I was like, cool. Thanks. Thank you. Low code. And I, I got to the end destination, right? So. All right. Well, we're kind of getting toward the end of our time. Do you want to just let people know where they can get some of these tools that we've been kind of talking our way around? Oh, well, one is the the main tool that I use is OutSystems. And OutSystems, again, is an IDE for building web and mobile applications on the enterprise level. So banks use us. uh, I mean, like banks, logistics companies, et cetera. They all use it, right? So OutSystems.com outsystems.com it's like forward slash download right uh you can also like reach out to me my name's sydney lie you can reach out to me on twitter my dms are open if you need help mentorship any any like guidance of like hey sydney i have this question or like where i want to build this where do i go i actually get that a lot and so i i try to redirect you um to like whatever is the best fit if you want to like just need help one-on-one i'm happy to do that i chill on our forums a lot our developer community is 495,000 developers. So if you need help with anything, our response time is like two hours of response time. Yeah, within the forms. Yeah, pretty, pretty happy about that. But yeah, I'm just like super, super passionate about technology and it's like proliferation in society. And if you just want to build something as a dev, like, like, let me just give you the resources, the tools, the other dev advocates, the friends, the the podcast. Like, what do you want? Like, I would just give it to just let, let me know you want to build because I want to see it exist in this world. And that kind of goes back to the creator mindset and and this, your intent. What is it that you want to build? Let's provide you the toolings to build it. And um, yeah, if you need a community of devs to build it with you, if you need help, if you need a tool that helps you build it faster, let's, let's rock and roll. Awesome. And yeah. If people want to reach you directly, I'm assuming you're on Twitter, GitHub, LinkedIn. Carrier Pigeon. Like, like, yeah, Matt, yeah. Yeah, my Twitters, my teams are open. I go through them. I do get a lot of inbounds. So if you want help, I'm, I'm there. I got you. All right. Uh, do you, if you just put the links to those in the chat, we'll make sure they wind up in the show notes. And yeah, let's go ahead and do some picks. Hey, folks, it's Charles Maxwood. And I just wanted to jump on real quick and let you know that I am putting together a podcasting course. I get asked all the time. I've been coaching people for the last six months. How do you start a podcast? How do you put it together? What do I need in order to get it going, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I've put together the curriculum and I did it through coaching a whole bunch of people. And now I want to share it with you. You can go check out the course. It's actually going to be a masterclass. It's going to be a four-week masterclass where I actually walk you through the entire process of launching a terrific-sounding podcast and putting together content that people want to listen to. And you can find it at podcastbootcamp.io. Now, for those of you who haven't listened to the show, picks are just kind of uh, shout-outs about stuff we like, uh, stuff we're enjoying. And uh, Ben, why don't you uh, kick us off with picks? Ooh, I'm going to re-mention what I was talking about earlier. So if you're not familiar, Derek Muller, he's a physicist, engineer. I don't know his entire life story, but he runs a YouTube channel called Veritasium. It's a science education. He also does uh, documentaries on CuriosityStream, I believe. But definitely check him out. He's the one that did the video on the 3D printing of the rockets but all of his his content really touches home to me. It's something that I always keep up with. It's one of the few YouTube channels that I'm always watching every week because it's very good documentary science and technology focused content. But 
he breaks down whatever topic he's talking about in multiple levels of complexity. So you get this intro to start off from, if you're not familiar with that field, it'll break it down, but it, it they end up going pretty low level in each of them uh, to really explain what's going on and why it's going on. Really fascinating. I always recommend it to my fellow nerds to check him out. Awesome. I'm going to go out and uh, throw out some picks real quick. I just want to remind everybody about the live Q&A calls I'm doing on Wednesdays, 12 p.m. It's uh, 10 minutes of training and then a no-pitch Q&A session. So yeah, I don't pitch anything that I'm doing, any products that I'm working on or anything like that. I am going to throw out a little bit of a product here, though, just because I'm getting a lot of demand for people from people who want to start podcasts. So we go to podcastbootcamp.io. You can sign up. I'm going to start the course in the middle of September. And it'll be a four-week course. We'll get your podcast launched, show you how to get great audio quality, uh, show you how to how basically how we set up podcasts at devchat.tv. I'm going to go through the whole podcast launch thing and do it that way. And then the other thing that I'm just going to shout out about, yeah, this is all stuff that I'm working on right now, but I think it's relevant to people. And the other thing that I'm doing is worry branding. So we're going from devchat.tv to topendevs.com. And the reason is, is because... Um, I feel like people kind of get caught into the orbit of kind of relying on a company to put their career together instead of taking control of their career. And that's not to say that you can't have a career working for a company, but you should be in control of that, not them, right? You shouldn't be counting on them to give you a raise or give you a promotion or whatever for your next thing, right? If you're interested in something, if you want something else out of your career, if you want to advance in certain ways, you can go to them and ask them to help you empower, help empower you to do that. But you should also be looking for the other ways to do that. And so I wanted to create a place where people can go to kind of get that thing. And, you know, we're talking about kind of that human ingenuity and some of the things that people are doing that's really cool. And I don't see why people can't find opportunities to do those kinds of things if they're interested in them. So we're pushing to top end devs. As I was thinking about this, and I was talking to a friend of mine, I realized that I'm not kind of living up to that myself. There's a long story to that. I'm going to put together a podcast episode and explain it. But the part of it that I'm not living up to myself is that I'm working for a large company, doing stuff that I really don't care about, working on a product that I'm not fulfilled by. And so I'm basically going to document my journey on getting out of it right? I was self-employed for 10 years. Long, long story as to why I'm back in this situation. But if you want to check that out, you can go to uh, topendevs.com slash podcast because it's going to be the Top End Devs podcast where I'm talking about that. And then I'm going to have a premium version where I go kind of into depth and talk a little bit more about some of the stuff that I don't necessarily want to put up publicly, right? Because I am working full-time for this company. And I don't necessarily want to put all of the stuff that I'm doing and things like that, talk about my work situation publicly. You know, I'm not going to disparage them or anything. They're great folks, great company, but not all of that has to go on a public feed. So yeah, anyway, that's pretty much the whole the whole deal. And then yeah, just a reminder on podcastbootcamp.io. I'm going to open it up to about 25 people. So if you want in, you probably have to get in. But yeah, we're, we're going to have that uh, available if you want to launch your own podcast. That's another great way to take kind of take control of your career destiny, right? Because you can uh, do stuff that you're interested in. You can talk to people that you're interested in talking to. And a lot in a lot of cases, it's content that you can actually point to on a resume or in an interview and say, hey, look, I have some expertise and you can go check it out over here. So yeah, that's, those are pretty much my picks. Sydney, you have some picks? Oh, I also, before you do that, I should also mention The Chosen. I mentioned it earlier. My wife and I are watching it. We're really, really loving it. So if you're 
uh, Christian, or if you're interested in kind of a depiction of, it's kind of a non-traditional approach, but it's a depiction of, of Jesus' life. And yeah, they kind of give all these people backstories. It's not necessarily like canonical biblical, like there's a bunch of stuff in there that's not in the Bible, but it kind of fleshes out the personalities of a lot of these folks that you read about in the Bible. And it's it's been really, really terrific. So anyway, The Chosen. Sorry, Sydney, go ahead. No worries. Likes and enjoys. I mean, recently I really got into Michael Pollan. Michael Pollan is a journalist based out of Berkeley, and he essentially focuses on engineering of the mind. So mm. he has uh, a book on um, what happens if you remove coffee from your diet, if you are a daily coffee drinker. Um, he has another book that I think that's either, I think, coming out fairly soon about mushrooms. And he has another book on like called The Omnivore's Dilemma. So he he gives a lot of talks at like, Google's campus, you know, big tech companies, stuff like that. But I think that as a journalist, he he deep dives into into again the human engineering of the mind. And I find it quite, quite fascinating. Enjoy uh love Pokemon. All right. So the remake of Pokemon, I think Diamond and um Pearl is coming out in November. So I'm super excited for that, y'all. And then, uh, yeah, I, I guess to kind of dovetail your point, Ben, or not Ben, Charles, is uh, if you want to have agency into whatever you want to build, decentralized autonomous organizations are here. DAOs are here. Check it out. There's a huge conference happening in Denver, MCON. But yeah, join a DAO, have fun. I'm a part of Menti DAO where we put Pokemon cards on chain and then you as a DAO, you get to collectively own an asset of the whole fossil collection together. So that's really mm-hmm. fun. But yeah, then there's like working DAOs, uh, you know, freelance dev shop DAOs, stuff like that. But I guess those are kind of my likes and enjoys. And yeah. His documentary series, we just finished watching it a couple of weeks ago. My wife and I cooked on Netflix. Man, that that is one of my favorite documentaries that I've seen in like the last two years. Michael Pollins. Nice. You I'm going to have to check out some of these uh, decentralized that. autonomous organizations. That sounds really, really fascinating. Yeah. I think that's up your alley, dude. Like for sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, it's we can wax a little bit philosophical here for a second, but it's the same thing with blockchain. It's the same thing with some of this other stuff. It's I lo- I'm, I'm really down for people to just take control and figure out where they want to be at and what they want to support and who they want to be and just get as much of the governmental, societal, whatever stuff out of their way, right? And then you can embrace as much of that as you want if it fulfills you and gets you where you want to go, right? So that that's that's why it appeals to me, right? Is it's like, okay, you know, I can go and I can be a part of this to the degree I want and help support whatever to the degree I want. Yeah. Yeah. That is exactly true. And, and I think that you can participate in DAOs in, in any way. And you, I'll draw the analogy. I don't know if you guys know the grocery store Winco, mm-hmm. like, like worker, essentially worker owned collectives, worker owned. And, and you can, you and kind of to your point, Charles, you can have your own agency. You can, and you can, and with a DAO specifically, you can participate as much or as little contribute as much right. or as little and and you know you did mention kind of the, the remove the social component i i understand what you mean and what i'm trying to say here is actually the dao socially they keep everyone in check kind of like your group of friends or your family or or in, in school there is like hey you can't be a jerk because then you'll be ostracized or something like that right. <laughs> uh, for being a jerk right uh, that that could be an example and that's the same case with uh with dao's but but from a like a air quotes, working professional or a working level. Again, it's just kind of a case by case basis or, you know, I just, I participate in a, in a 
like a social or fun DAO where we just nerd out about Pokemon. And <laughs> did I mention I like Pokemon? Did you mention what? I mentioned I like Pokemon. Ben got the joke. Thanks, man. Awesome. Well, I'm up against another call, so I've, I've got to jump off, but definitely going to be looking into that stuff. I should also mention, I forgot to mention, The Chosen is free. So what's stream? Is it? Oh, okay. There you go. There we go. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Charles, DM me. I, I'll hook you up with resources. Awesome. We'll do. All right, folks, we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, thanks again for coming, Sydney. Uh, until next time, folks, Max out. Later. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.